This is your host, Christine S., and you're listening to Fuck It, Let's Talk, the podcast that focuses on the intersection of parenting and mental health with, of course, a little bullshit in between. I'm here to create a space where people, including myself, can be their true, authentic, honest selves about topics that sometimes can be hard to talk about or, well, need to be talked about. All right. And today I am here with John Hill, who is a sales coach who didn't sacrifice the way he communicates even when his child was born and has used martial arts as a way to help maintain his sense of independence. Welcome, John. Thanks for having me. I am super excited to be here. I love talking about this stuff and balance and making sure you can show up well for your family and also do a good job at work. So this is near and dear to my heart. Awesome. So I know that we talked a little bit about previously the way that you kind of communicate with your kids. So if you want to start there and tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, you know, starting out, I didn't even realize that we were doing anything all that different. And, And then we started to see little small situations like, you know, uh, an experience at the, at the doctor's office where the doctor was looking for a pet name for a private area and we don't use pet names for those things, you know, so things like that. I'm a sales coach. And so some of my clients have seen me interact with my daughter because she'll come in to ask a question and everyone is always blown away that I talk to my daughter the same way that I'm talking to them and the way that I'm coaching them to handle their sales conversations. And so through all of those little things, it's like, maybe we are doing something a little bit different. Um, and, and really we just decided that it doesn't make any sense to talk to her any differently than we would anybody else, you know, with her being an only child, you know, she hangs around a couple of very nerdy adults and our nerdy mm-hmm. adult friends. And so, you know, she very much is that kind of epitome of the only child who like, kind of freaks people out because she talks at a very well, like, I'm sorry, a very Mm -hmm. high level and really knows her stuff and doesn't flinch away from conversation or anything like that. She likes to dive in and ask questions. And like, that's really great because that's what we're trying to bring out in her. So that way she can be that kind of empowered person to go ask questions and make sure that she's on the same page with people. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I know that we talked also about how, that kind of works into being able to allow you and your partner to have your own independence as well, because she understands those different levels of communication and needs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, having a kid wasn't ever in the plans. Me we were either. Very happy being the cool. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> we were we were so happy being the cool aunt and uncle, and a big part of that was because I had a bunch of hobbies that were so important to me and a big, uh, the, the biggest one at the time was martial arts. I was a Kung Fu, you know, instructor and student and on that path. And one of the biggest things was I wanted to make sure that I could maintain that. Thankfully, my partner is so very supportive of these things. And so whenever we were trying to figure out what does this look like, she was always, you got to go, you got to go do this thing. I know how important yes. it is to you and stuff. And, uh, you know, I had seen so many people leave Kung Fu and the martial arts training because of the kid of that pushback of, you know, are you really going to go do this stuff instead of like hanging out with your kids and stuff? And I, mm-hmm. I didn't want that. Like that path was so important to me during that time. And, you know, then all of a sudden she's, she's a little bit older. So now she's coming with me to classes whenever I'm teaching on the weekends, you know, the people in my Kung Fu school knew who she was. And then she got a little bit older and did a little bit of Kung Fu and things like that. So, you know, having that, area that you can pour yourself into because it makes you better. It becomes an outlet. I don't care if it's the gym or if it's art or if it's martial arts or running, or it could be any number of things. You gotta have it. 
And uh, one of the things that is so important to me and my partner is making sure that my daughter knows that if you have an outlet that you want to explore, we're, we're invested. Let's go. Yes. Right. And so right now that's art and that's singing and that's dance. So if there's, you know, if we're out somewhere and she wants an art implement, you know, yeah, let's just grab it. You know, I mean, it's only going to be a couple of bucks. And I I can remember being a kid and my parents like, hey, maybe for Christmas, maybe for your birthday and stuff. And I'm, I, I just don't take that approach. Like, I really want to enable her to dive deeply into things that'll make her more creative and more thoughtful and just more herself is really kind yeah, of the Yeah, and you're giving there. her tools of you know, it's pretty much exactly what we're talking about, you know, keeping your individuality and finding outlets to keep that individuality. You're already fostering that in her at a young age. Absolutely. We had a meet the teacher at the beginning of this year and she's in sixth grade and every one of her teachers was like, Oh, you know what I love about your daughter? She will ask questions until she gets it. So like, I don't ever have to worry about, does she know it or not? Does she understand what she's doing? Because she's going to keep asking questions until she does. And, you know, a lot of that comes from me and my partner, but I've always been the guy who will ask too oh, many me questions. Too. And that sometimes got me, in, <laughs> it, it used to get me in trouble yeah. when I was like in corporate selling and working in bigger corporate structures. But now it's the thing that like brings me clients, you know, the ability to create questions and make sure that we're on the same page because it's so important in selling, but it's just really important in all communication styles, like whether it's selling or whether it's leadership or whether it's parenting or any one of these things really got to make sure that you're that you're working at the same speed and on that same page no matter where you are in that process. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And I mean, you talk about martial arts a lot like do you think there's any way that martial arts can kind of improve our ability to communicate effectively? Like would you say there's any connection there? I would say yes. Now, it's one of those things to where when you talk to martial artists, you know, the view from the outside is very different from the view inside, you know? And so some people are kind of put off by, uh, well, well, John, John trains, John does these things. And I've gotten weird looks in certain corporate structures. Whenever I would talk about Kung Fu, like I was a banker and I sold like mortgages and investments for, yeah. for a while and worked at a banking location. And some people were nervous about the fact that I did these things and that I trained. That's and interesting. Sometimes I'd come in with some br- bruises on the back of my arms and you know uh one time I got kicked and I uh, had this huge hematoma and I had to be out for about three months so it could heal and everybody was like oh the big tough kung fu guy can't get kicked in the leg and it's like there's literally blood pouring like oh, down the inside of my leg not yeah. where it's supposed to be so you know injuries do happen it, it is a thing but you know, you build such deep relationships with your training partners and it gets to the space to where you know what they're going to do before they do it. And, you know, working through a very mechanical thing and using words to understand it is is kind of an interesting subject, mm-hmm. you know, because certain people learn different ways. And I have my, my way of learning. And by default, we tend to think everyone learns the same way that we do, yes. right? Which is a huge problem because it doesn't actually work that way. So I think that in that, you can see how different people get to that finish line and get to that place to where they have that knowledge. And I, you know, I don't think I would be this person, you know, that, that I am now without that experience of having to teach a 400 year old martial art to a bunch of Americans who we're not known for having great movement as adults. (laughs) You know, we don't dance a whole lot, you know, we're not that athletic, you know? Um, And so trying to get people to move and be thoughtful about their body and where are they holding tension and things like that? 
crazy how people's kind of blind spots show up and how do you get past it and things like that. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. So it brings up like awareness, not only, I guess you're saying physically to parts of your body that might be holding stress, but also emotionally. Absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. The, the, a friend of mine that I trained with, he, uh, he trained, uh, in, in the same art as me for a very long time. And then he just kind of decided, Hey, this isn't the thing that I need anymore. I feel comfortable, but he still wanted something that like used his body and he got into dance. Now, fascinating thing about the, the martial art that I studied, we don't really have a whole lot of hip movement, right. In mm-hmm. our, in our art. So what happens is you kind of think about your body as one big, long piece and there's a whole bunch of reasons to do that. But in dance, you can't do that, right? You have to have hips in a way. That's actually, that's how I choose to work out is dance. So I get that a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. And he was talking about how he was trying to get this movement and he couldn't do it because he was thinking about it in like a Kung Fu context of like, how would this be used in a martial environment and had the disconnect from that completely. And he talked about whenever it opened up and he could feel those muscles shift and like be used in that different way. Like it took his breath away and he couldn't talk for a couple of minutes. He's having this very like kind of like emotional, like unlocking because it was just so radically different than how his body was used to moving. And it's such a cool, very, very cool thing. Like I've, I've experienced really cool things. The, The people that I trained with were all like really, really solid people and they all wanted it as much as I did. So, uh, I actually brought a friend to the school one time. And I was talking to him afterwards and I said, Hey, you're going to join. He's like, no, I don't think so. And I was like, okay, cool. Can I ask why? And he goes, I've never been in a room that has got more quiet confidence. And I've said, I said, what do you mean? He goes, he goes, I'm fully confident that anyone in there can, can handle themselves. And it just makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. And I was like, cool, no harm, no foul. But we were all super invested in like having and knowing this stuff at a very deep level. It's just a very small pocket of people and everyone comes at it from different approaches and it's awesome. Really, really great. Yeah, I know that I have a son and um, my husband and I were discussing one time, you know, about how people who know martial arts actually tend to be less likely to fight because that quiet confidence that you were talking about, they know that if they need to defend themselves, Mm -hmm. they're able to do so and they don't have that same like aggression or I suppose stereotypical, you know, thoughts about men, something to prove, you know, that aggression that actually through doing martial arts, it gives them that confidence to kind of allow them to be more of a pacifist. Oh, absolutely. You know, when, at least in our school, we all talk about this idea that when you walk in the door, you're walking in the door because you want to be a badass, right? In some way, Mm -hmm. shape or form. But the people who actually make it to a level to where they actually have some knowledge and some skills and can handle themselves you have to you have to leave that on the path so somewhere before it can't be about you being the baddest it, you have to be the student you really have to kind of approach it from a different angle and then when you see small people handle themselves remarkably well in these altercations there was a guy at my school I'm a tall guy I'm six foot four which is you know I, I go by the name small mountain because I'm a tall guy and my last yeah. name is hill. And there was a guy in my school, and we called him Little Mike, because he's all of like 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five, very, very short guy. Yes. And he's insane. Like, he is so good. I can't I can't handle it. He just gets in these spots, and I, and I just can't defend myself. And so you run into enough of those situations to where you kind of have to be like, hey, maybe this person, like, knows something, because why are they so relaxed? Why are they so, like, non-confrontational? Mm-hmm. And you, you, you just kind of want to 
pull away from it, you know? Yeah. Um, the other part is, you know, once you know some of this stuff, you forget how easy it is to actually hurt someone else in some of these situations. Ah, and that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That can be problematic because, you know, if you're in a bar and something happens and you hit someone and they're down on the ground and then the cops show up, like, who knows what's going to happen after that? And it's just not worth it. You know, I mean, yeah. we all get to that point. But yeah, uh, a friend of mine, uh, one time he goes, man, how come? Because he didn't train, but he kind of had that bearing of like, I wish you would come mess with me kind of situation. And he, gotcha. he'd wear like the shirts with like the sequins and the flowers, like like the affliction shirts and all that stuff is a big thing for a while for him. And he's like, hey, how come no one messes with you? I'm like, well, first of all, I'm really tall which shuts down the yeah. thing. <laughs> yes. The other thing is like, I don't walk around all bowed up all the time, which is kind of creating an environment where that stuff seeks you out. It just happens to find you, right? I'm yes, just over you're here kind of doing my thing. projecting that aggression. You're projecting that aggression. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so like, I mean, you're talking about, you know, kind of essentially forming these connections with your students and with your partners. And it sounds like, you know, martial arts help us in a way to kind of better understand and possibly respond to the needs of others. I I think so. Right. I mean, I think you have to be on the path for a while before that stuff starts to show up for you. Mm -hmm. But everyone I know above like a certain level, right. And that, and that level is different depending upon what the art is, because I've, I've done most of my training in, in uh, Kung Fu art, which is a Chinese art. It's called Wing Chun, but I've, but I've also trained in jujitsu, um, mm. some Bagua. And That's what like I was that. told to try. Cause I'm like a little five, two. They were like, you should do jujitsu or something like that. Cause I'm just like a teeny one. <laughs> it is a great, it is a great, great, great art. If you're in situations so where going to the ground makes sense. But yes. if you're, if you're in a bar, it doesn't make any sense to go to the ground because some guy's going to try to kick you in the back of the head and he's not even invested in this situation. He's just yep. like, Hey, this'll be fun. And I'm drunk. So let me just haul off and kick someone in the head. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But it's a great art. Um, and the, the ground is a great equalizer, right? Because it takes away so many of the things that people rely on, you know, reach and strength and everything else like that. And I remember, uh, like my first week of training in jujitsu, I got to roll with this woman who was, you know, five, three, buck 25. And she cr- absolutely crushed me. Like it wasn't even close. Yeah. And I was just so excited because like, I like certain, I like anything to where there's an approach that bypasses all the normal things that make people great. Right. Yes. Yeah. So I love that it's not about reach and height and weight and age. I love that you can be older and still have really great knowledge and be able to take younger people to task or be the smaller person and win in certain altercations. I love that stuff because it just, it just goes to show how deep anything can be if you really put in the time. Yeah. And also, man, you got to root for the underdog, right? Absolutely. You just seem, it seems like, you know, oh, but they're tiny, maybe, but turns out they can kick your ass. (laughs) So, you know, you got to watch it. You got to watch it. Um, So there's a lot of like communication and, you know, communication, it seems physically, like I said, and emotionally. And I'm wondering if you think that, you know, martial arts kind of break down some of those barriers when you do that, like through that practice and everything, if it breaks down some of the more common like communication barriers that we face just in normal society. Um, that's an interesting question. What I find, um, like if I'm, if I'm out networking or if I'm on a call or if I meet someone and I know that they have trained, 
I know our conversation is going to be so much deeper than it is with someone who hasn't trained. And that's mm-hmm. not like a judgment on them. I do think that most people would benefit from having, you know, a solid year or two of martial arts training. And there's not even one that I would recommend because I think your personality and the way you approach physical altercation has a big impact on what art you should be practicing and training in. Yes. Yeah, but, that makes sense. Um, you know, it does create like a great bond, right? Like I can be out and I've had people take calls with me and then they show up and they say, Hey, I was going to like ghost you. And then I remembered that you, you train jujitsu, right? And I'm like, yeah, I trained jujitsu. And they're like, man, I trained jujitsu. And then we're just in it. We're just into a great conversation because that martial arts connection is something that they can relate to. And in a coaching environment, it's fantastic because you're coached. You have to think about the process differently. You have to take a different approach. It's not about just like getting as angry as you possibly can. So that way you win the, like that person went loses to someone who's got this much knowledge. Right. So the, the very interesting thing is it's hard. Uh, one of the hardest things is getting people to think about things the same way that you do. And I was talking about this actually today in one of my coaching calls, like, you can always argue with the coach, right? Hey, uh, mm-hmm. and in and in Kung Fu, we, we would just tell everybody, hey, you, can, you need to relax. You need to relax a little bit. No, just keep relaxing. And people would be like, oh, John, I hear him relax. And I'm like, you're not. But how are you going to know that if you don't feel how it feels whenever I do this technique? You're pro- mm-hmm. you're, you can't. One of the best books I've ever read about like coaching and teaching and being better at communication is this game called or book called The Inner Game of Tennis by by Tim Galloway. And it's not really okay. about tennis, it's about coaching and leading and giving feedback to people. And uh he talks about just the cleanest feedback loop you can possibly build because you can't argue with that. And that's why you see so many mirrors in martial arts schools, right? And you see people standing in front of it and doing like very, very yes. minute kind of things because all these things are tied together. And if one of them is wrong, the other ones can't possibly be right. So you have to spend that time just like doing very small movements and making sure that everything is in the right way. Is my elbow in the right place? Is my wrist in the right place? Am I generating the right kind of energy for this kind of strike or this kind of movement? And it's, it's hard. It takes a lot of time. Um, and I was going to say that seems like it takes a lot. Like already we know that martial arts gives you discipline, but it mm -hmm. seems like that is a lot of discipline, you know, standing there, moving your body, making sure you're holding yourself to correct form. Absolutely. It's a lot. And it's so funny because I love talking to people that like, I found this in martial arts, but, but you find it wherever you find it. But when you stop realizing that everything is luck, right. And that it's all just about time and effort and being disciplined to your approach and staying on the path. You know, when I, when I started over in jujitsu, I was so excited to just come in and be a student again. I didn't have to teach anybody. No one was expecting any knowledge from me. And, you know, another friend of mine, he started over in jujitsu as well from another art and he finishes his first class and he's just kind of sitting there. He's covered in sweat because it's, it's, you know, it'll wear you out. It's a great workout. And he goes, well, it's going to be 10 years. If I want to be good at this, do I want to put in 10 years into this? You know? Mm -hmm. And, once you're at that space, I think everything changes, right? And being an entrepreneur and being a sales coach, like when you can really disconnect from that outcome and just appreciate the learning process, that's when things become really, really, really cool. Yeah, it seems like it's really important, you know, to, I mean, I think this in general, that you learn from your mistakes. Like instead of looking oh. at a mistake as a failure, 
you can look at it as, okay, so this is something that didn't work, but maybe if I alter it in this different way, we can make it work. Absolutely. And being really honest with yourself, right? Because if it's, yeah. if it's luck every time someone else beats you, but it's skill every time you win, I think you're, I think your grading logic is a little bit flawed there. Right. Yes. Um, and this is a huge metaphor that I talk about with salespeople because, you know, well, you didn't get the deal. You got a no versus a yes. And and some people are like, man, that guy didn't know what he wanted and everything else like that. Well, you can only really tell yourself that so many times before you have to acknowledge that you're the other person in that conversation and you are responsible for at least 50% of what happened in that, in that, in, in that interaction. In that Fighting interaction. is the same yeah. way. Uh, therefore, while I was a professional poker player, and the best way to get good at poker is realizing when you're playing on what's called tilt. And tilt is emotional thinking. It's when you're letting your emotions control your thought process. And it shows up in little small ways. Like, you know, uh, it's called steaming, you know, where like you lose a big hand and you start to flush your face. You can hear that roar in your ears and stuff. And then it's just like, mm-hmm. you know what, I'm going to win this next one. Hold on. That's tilt. That is going to lead you to make some terrible decisions. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a, it's one of my older Kung Fu brothers, he calls it a constantly humbling environment. It sounds like there's a lot both, you know, you're bringing up poker, but also with martial arts, that there's mm-hmm. a lot of like nonverbal cues and that it also kind of helps you to adjust to that and find connection with other people due to like without just speaking, you know, you're catching on to these nonverbal cues. You know, I mean, depending upon the art and how it how it really interacts, like in jujitsu, you're wrestling with other people, you're grappling with them, you're on the ground, you're going to be in some fairly compromising positions with another human being who's mm-hmm. who's not your partner. And how do you feel about that? And in in Wing Chun, which is the the Chinese art I studied, the biggest part of it is like training these panels of the forearm to feel where someone else is going before you have to see where someone else is going. So mm-hmm. those things of really just listening and really being open to like what feedback you're getting from the partner, you can't perform well in either one of those arts if you don't hone that, right? So if, you, if you're trying yes. to force fits or force hits or force situations, you're going to put yourself in a compromising position that someone who's really good is going to take advantage of. So yes, waiting for the right spot and picking your battles is such a crucial part. And in both the arts I've studied, it comes from listening and that tactile response and really just paying attention to what's happening in the moment. So there's a lot of nonverbal stuff that happens in both of those arts. Yeah. And it's amazing because I think that people don't always, you know, consider things like martial arts or even poker, but we're talking more martial arts here mm-hmm. as being such a educational resource on oh, how yeah. to communicate with other human beings and how to find connection with other human beings. I, I, it, it was a game changer. You know, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a Ninja Turtle and my parents were like, no, you're going to get hurt. And we didn't really have insurance. So there was lots of good reasons not to do it. And then when Mm -hmm. I came home from the military, I just, I knew that I needed this in my life. Right. And I really wanted to go and go explore it. And it took me a long time to find the lane that made sense for me. I went to like Aikido schools. I tried jujitsu whenever I first got home, it wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right place for me. And then I was about to give up because I just couldn't find anything that really spoke to me. And someone said, Hey, have you called the Kung Fu guy? And I was like, what? there's a Kung Fu guy. Cause I don't live in the biggest city. I, I live in DFW, yeah. which is in Texas, but I live on the Fort Worth side of it. So kind of a bunch of good old boys, which nothing wrong with that, but it's not the hotbed of martial arts that like LA yes, or New yeah. York or Seattle is going to be. So my options were fairly limited. 
And it turns out I called I called the wrong Kung Fu guy, but he was prior service and special forces and like really knew his stuff. And we got along super well. And I was like, okay, th- this is it. And yeah, it was, it was it for a very long time. Yeah. Um, do you think that, I mean, do you think that it teaches us like the power of body language? Like, cause I think we often forget how much power our facial expressions, how we hold ourselves in conversations. You know, I think that we often forget the power that it holds in how a conversation goes and how interaction goes. And, you know, we're talking discipline, we're talking martial arts, you know, also I assume mm-hmm. that happens in sales as well, oh, yeah. but you know, oh, yeah. teaching us the power of body language. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think that what happens is most people aren't that connected to their body, you know? And so it, mm-hmm. it's, to me, that stuff is like endlessly fascinating. And I, I've known some people who who have trained in Tai Chi, which is another art. And a lot of people think that like Tai Chi is just for like older people who want good movement. Well, there's absolutely a fighting application to it. You just have to find the right teacher for that. But the way that mm-hmm. they chain their body together to generate the power for those hits is completely different than how we generate power for our hits. And once you start to explore those things, it's, in my, in my opinion, awesome, because like you, you become so connected to your body, you become so attached to it. And, you know, you figure out what makes sense for you and what doesn't. And everybody's a little bit different. So my, so my structure is a little bit different than someone else's structure, because I'm a very tall guy. This, the, the art that I love wasn't actually invented for men. It was actually invented by a woman who was a Mm -hmm. nun and like on the lamb. So she needed, a way of fighting that bypassed all of the weaknesses that she had that were strengths for the, you know, the people that were chasing her. So, yes. you know, she needed to be, be able to fight in these very tight confined spaces because if these guys were able to wind up and start to generate power, she was going to get rolled. And that was obviously something that she didn't want to do. So how could she put herself in the best position to win? Well, let's build an art that focuses on very close range. So that way these guys don't have the room to run their program and then how could she build a program that would like work well in those situations and that's where it comes from it's a very close range fighting art okay that's that's actually really really cool what is that called again so uh the art is called wing chun um and wing chun. Okay. yeah so yeah there's a bunch of movies on netflix they're called ip man ipman and uh they're they're movies about a guy who actually carried this martial art through the Japanese, uh, you know, occupation of China because they were trying to shut down all Kung Fu because they knew that if someone was going to come and do some sort of violent coup or overwhelming or something like this, it was going to be a martially focused person. So they were just going through and saying no martial arts. So if it wasn't for like this one guy, this art would probably be eradicated. Um, but oh, he, wow. yeah, he was able to carry it through and the movies are fantastic. They're, they're fun. And, you know, some of them are more, you know, wire work and traditional Kung Fu. But the first one is a really great representation of what the art can be and how to use it effectively. Yeah. Okay. And you said that your daughter also practices as well. So, yeah, so she did a little bit. Um, Wing Chun is not really meant for kids. It's, uh, yes, (laughs) it's a little too hard edged. Um, so my teacher was always of the opinion it's also not really good for like muscularity, right? Because the way that we stand and the way that our, our, our form sits, uh, it doesn't really 
open you up in the right way. Um, so he teaches praying mantis to, to children. So she did a little bit of praying mantis, you know, was, was a little young when she started, it wasn't really a fit. But then whenever I started going to jujitsu, I was just taking her with me. Right. Because at that stage I was working in my business, but my partner wasn't working with me in my business. So she was still working retail. And so we kind of had to work opposite schedules to make it work. And so I was going to jujitsu and I would just take my daughter with me. And then one time she was like, Hey, I want to try this. And I'm like, mentally, I'm like, don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. Okay. You want to try, you know? And she was like, yeah. So she tried it for a little bit. And then unfortunately COVID came along and, you know, it was very Uh, hard to train martial arts during that time. And now, you know, she's kind of moved on and, you know, that's totally okay. I I hope that she comes back to it eventually and and it becomes a bigger part of her life. But, you know, as a parent, the more heat you put on something, the more likely they are to push it away and never lean into it. So I'm just trying to make sure that like I keep it accessible to her and I don't ruin it for her. Exactly. Yeah. Do you think though that she gained any of the, um, any of the discipline in the short amount of time that she did, you know, practice that can help with like that maybe help with difficult conversations or did you feel that she already had that arsenal in place because of how you guys communicated? That's a really good question. I don't, I don't know that she was really on that path long enough for like the discipline and the the do hard things and all of this stuff that martial artists are kind of known for to really show up in her life. I think I think her her curiosity and her like wanting to know just comes much more from like how we talk to her. You know, I have I have a rule with her that I'm not allowed to just like tell her no for no for no good reason. And so for no reason, yeah. Years and years ago, I was on a call with a buddy of mine. And uh, she comes in and she asks for a cookie and I said, no. And she said, why not? And I was like, well, because we're, we're very close to dinner and I don't want you to ruin your appetite. And my buddy was like, you let her talk to you like that? And I'm like, yeah, I actually encourage it. And he was yeah, like, yeah, I also would. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, why? And I was like, you know, I can remember being a kid and because I said so was like the, the resounding reason for anything. And I hated it, you know? Yes. And you know, doing this thing that I do, you know, helping salespeople sell better. I mean, it's a communication process more than it is about trying to manipulate people or talk people into things that they don't want. So if you can yes. communicate really well and build good agreements with people and, you know, ask them really great questions and, and not be so focused on trying to close the deal and more about what does this person need and can I deliver what they need, everything changes as a salesperson. So, yeah, you know, that is... Like I, like I almost can't separate the two now, which is why like, it doesn't, it doesn't show up to me that I'm, that I'm treating my daughter like a prospect. I'm just treating her like someone I want to communicate in the most efficient way possible. You know, actually last night we were having this moment and we were both trying to correct my daughter on, on one thing, you know, we're trying to get her to drink more water because, you know, it's important to be hydrated and everything. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You know, it's a struggle because, you know, she's a kid and, you know, she doesn't think about that stuff. Oh, yes. Yeah. And... (laughs) we were talking about the water and Hey, you got to drink more water. And we have agreements around this and, you know, and we were both kind of piling on because my, because my partner was saying things to her. I was also saying things to her and, and she's like, okay guys, can we pause? Cause like, I know that I shouldn't be overwhelmed, but I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed. And I was like, thank oh, wow. you for letting us know, you know? Yeah. Such that's a cool some excellent communication right there. Yeah. That's really, really a cool moment. Yeah. I'm the exact same way with my son. If he like, asks me why I give him an answer. And if he's in trouble too, I like get down an eye level and I'm like, I'm going to explain to you now, like why you are in trouble. I'm not just going to go, Hey, you're in timeout. 
I'm not going to just go like, okay, this is your punishment. Mm-hmm. I try to before the punishment. Sometimes they're too worked up and, it, you know, it has to be afterwards. Yeah. But afterwards, I'm like, do you know why, you know, this happened and why you were here and everything? Mm-hmm. But I also expect him when you brought up the why, like I expect him to have questions and I expect him to have pushback because, of course, your children are also independent people and eventually yeah. they're going to try to assert and find their own independence. Absolutely. And, like, I want her to find that here with us, right? Like like, like two people who put a lot of effort in communication and really, like, thinking clearly and cleanly, not letting emotions just run our, like, every whim, as opposed to, you know, just picking it up from, like, other people that she learns with. So, you know, the big thing I'm focused on right now is I'm trying to be less preemptively corrective in more just listening, right? Because we're kind of entering that phase where yes. like, things are getting heavy. You know, seventh grade is next year, you know. Oh, and... yeah, yeah. You're getting into that age. Absolutely. And so I just want to be the person that she comes and talks to, not the person that she doesn't talk to because she's concerned about just getting corrected constantly. Yes, I feel the exact same way about my parents. You know, I was like, I want to make sure that I foster an environment that is welcoming for communication because I don't, I also want him to feel that he has that support from his parents, you know, from Mm -hmm. the people who have been in his life, his entire life, you know? Absolutely. You, it seemed like you got a lot of like, it sounds like you've gotten a lot of flack or a lot of commentary from like other people about the way that you communicate with your daughter. Um, I mean, it's not flack. I think people are just shocked, right? I think, what happens is that most people end up parenting more or less the way that their parents did, even if they're trying mm-hmm. very hard not to be like their parents. You know, yes. there's this very old sales adage that we sell the way we want to be sold to. We lead the way we want to be led and all these things. And personalities are very different, right? And yes, absolutely. It has a huge impact on how you want to be talked to, how you want to be coached, how you want to be sold, how you want to be led, all these other kind of things. And I'm just, I'm lucky that, that I've been in sales and I've, and you know, you meet so many people and they're all different, you know, and I talk to people who go to work, they work around the same, like 15 people for like 20 years and they'll meet some people along the way. And then, you know, but that's kind of it. I meet probably 20 new people a week. Right. And some of them are just digital relationships because, you know, all the social media channels that I'm on. And then I have a community of people that that we hang out with and everything. And I'm a salesperson. So I have to be able to communicate with different types of people at different levels of organizations so so that I can do my job well. So I think a lot of it stems from from that. And thankfully, my partner and I are both very, very much on the same page that like communication is super important and raising a child who's you know, confident and secure in herself and, and feels comfortable asking questions if she doesn't know the answer, super important to both mm-hmm. of us. So I think, I think we kind of lucked into that from like an alignment perspective, but you know, being a sales coach, right? Like I think of it more of just communication and less about selling. You just have to communicate on a deadline is, is how I think about yes. it. So yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah. So you definitely, you're not saying it's like, it's, it's been less critique and more just like confusion, I guess. Like, okay, you're speaking to her like she's your peer. Not entirely. I guess saying your peer mm-hmm. is a little bit different because obviously you are the parent. Sure, yeah. And not the friend. 
but definitely, you know, fostering that kind of adult conversation. And I, as I said, I do the same thing with my son where I, you know, use the correct names for different anatomy and I answer his questions and we speak honestly. And I also find it very important to speak honestly about our emotions and our different emotions Mm -hmm. and to find the healthy outlets to express them. Like there's been times that he's been like really, really angry and he's like thrown a toy and I'm like, okay, you know, we don't do that. How about we like scream into this pillow instead? Or maybe we like, you know, hit this pillow and stuff. He's only four. So he's still learning that, but there's also like finger tapping techniques and stuff like that. But I try to make it an environment where every emotion is acceptable mm-hmm. and that and that we are allowed to feel these emotions and there are ways to express them that are healthy and okay and that we should be able to get to express them. Absolutely. I mean, as adults, we go through the whole range of emotions, right? Like I have bad days. I have days where I'm mad. I have days where I'm not motivated. I have days where I'm stressed out and they all have an impact on how I communicate and how I go about the day. Um, we actually, you know, when I get very stressed out about work, I kind of I go into what I call task mode and I'm just thinking about the next task. And what happens I here, get the exact same way. <laughs> okay. So so in those moments, I don't have a lot of empathy. I, I just don't. Like like it just kind of fades away because stress is kind of taking taking over. And so mm-hmm. forever it would be kind of a kind of a problem with my partner and I because I would have this shift and she would think it was be it was about her. Hey, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. What's next? Well, are you really okay? Yeah, I'm fine. You know, and yeah. now we we can we can say, you know, she'll come up and if I'm being short with her and hey, are you are you okay? Yeah. Are you just in task mode? Yeah, I'm just in task mode. Okay, cool. And now we're and now we're good. I think if you don't create that same thing for for your children, it's a little like like and this is going to sound heavy, but this is how I think about it in my head to kind of check myself. It's hypocritical that I'm allowed to be angry, but my but my kid isn't. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and it's also I feel it is so important to for your child to see the spectrum of emotion. Um, there was one time, um. I had our dog passed and he didn't get to know her very well because um, he was really young, but Mm -hmm. I had had her 14 years and I was just thinking about her the one day and I was, I had started crying, Mm -hmm. you know, and he's like, mommy, you know, are you okay? And I explained to him, you know, that I'm just really missing Savannah, you know, I'm really missing my dog. And like, this is my experience right now. I'm feeling very sad, but I'm okay. Mm -hmm. I'm okay. But I'm letting this emotion out, you know, and he's like, okay. And of course, he tried to give me a kiss and was like, it's going to be okay, mommy. And he's also at the age where he believes that anything that dies just needs to be charged and then (laughs) come back to life. Where some some commercial or some movie came on and the, the, the the dog was dying. He goes, it's okay, mommy. They just need to charge the dog. And I'm like, well, that would be a fantastic way if that was the way that it worked. Yeah. But, you know, it's still, I've also gotten frustrated before. I've been like, God damn it. You know, I was like, and I was like, I'm sorry. Right now, mommy is feeling frustrated. And, you know, she didn't necessarily pick the best way by shouting to let it out. But I'm feeling frustrated right now. And that's why I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go do, like, say, for example, I'm going to go step outside for a few moments or I'm going to go meditate for a few moments. and I'm going to take care of this emotion, but also allow it to come through and allow it out instead of repressing it because yep. 
I am the queen of repression, and <laughs> I do not want to pass that back on to my son. <laughs> you know, there there was a project I was working on probably about a year ago, and it was a high-stress situation because it was a startup, and emotions always run hot in startups. And, uh, like, I was super stressed out. And I was just I was just trying to do a better job of talking about it because, uh, you know, I don't I don't think I'm the king of repression, but I'm I'm because of the military and because of martial arts and stuff. I sometimes go into this mode of like, just shut up and make it through. Just shut up and make it Mm -hmm. through. No one cares how you feel about it, you know, Um, which isn't really great if you have other people around you who love and support you and and you're not sharing the stuff with them. So. You know, it's something I'm working on. And so it's I was definitely something I can relate to, too. Honestly, I haven't been in the military and everything else, but it's definitely something that I struggle with myself as well. Sure. OK, cool. So, like, I, I'm, gl- I'm glad to know that it's not just a military thing, you know, that it does show yeah. up, in, you know, for civilians. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, for like two weeks in a row, I was just kind of sharing with my partner, like, I'm super stressed out, you know, like, like, this is not why I started this business. And, you know, how do we get it on track? And my daughter, one time she goes, Dad, I said, yeah. And she, and she goes, you know, the last few times you talked about this, you've been like super stressed out. Are you, are you okay? And I was blown away. And I was like, yeah, you know, because, you know, when you're, when you're a kid, everything is like, kind of like do or die, you know? And yes. Everything it, is so much bigger. Absolutely. You know, and yes. it's crazy because I think that being an entrepreneur kind of gives you this, hopefully if you do it for long enough, this special kind of awareness, right? Because you know, looking at it from the outside and you see social media and everyone is just bragging about how great it is and sunshines and rainbows and travels and living a nomadic lifestyle and all this stuff. And like, there are weeks that suck, but yeah, if I was working inside of an organization and I wasn't working for myself, there would still be weeks that sucked. So yeah, I'm just trying to make sure that I'm talking about it so that way I can label it so that way it doesn't run rampage in my thoughts and kind of slow down and kind of ruin me for like being productive in the role. Um, but yeah, it really, blew I me, definitely feel that as well. Yeah. It really blew me away that like, she was so thoughtful of like thinking about the last time that I had kind of talked about it and was tying these things together and like wanted to kind of check on me, you know, like really I was, I was, I was stunned. I was so happy, but, uh, but my gut instinct was like, Oh, I should be talking about this less in front of her. And I was like, well, yes, that's not, yeah, I completely get that. I was like, that's not really what I want to do. Right. Because you know, she asked and we were able to kind of talk about it and talk it out. And now she gets it. So it isn't, a, it, it's not that I need to hold it away from her. It's that I need to like show her that like, Hey, that, you know, this week sucked, but that's okay. Right. Next week is another yeah, opportunity, right? you know, and that we all go through those days that suck and it is okay to like give into it sometimes. And sometimes, you know, we just need to ask for our space yep. and let ourselves have a little bit of that completely sucky day. Absolutely. And I think that it is really important too to, you know, let your kids know that and to also not be in a bad mood and like be like, I'm stressed and be like, you know, what? I don't want to talk about it. I'm just feeling really stressed right now. You know, I think I think one of the cool things that me and my partner are are able to do now is, you know, I will I'll get into a situation where like I'm talking with my daughter and we try to we try to not pile on. Yeah, right? super easy, super easy as parents, you know, hey, you got to drink water. Yeah, you really got to drink water. But for that kid, it's like way too much corrective, you know, uh, direction in the moment and they feel overwhelmed. So we try to do a good job of kind of spacing that out you know, not do not, not giving that kind of piling on feeling. And one of the things that I really love is, you know, I might be correcting her or my partner might be correcting, correcting her. And then, you know, my daughter will leave the room and we'll have that moment of like, Hey, how was that? Was I too heavy handed? Was I, was I, 
Was I in the right lane? Was I in the right tone? Was I, you know, was I actually giving correction and not just reacting emotionally kind of situations? And, you know, one of the things that is so interesting to me is, you know, being a dad and having a daughter, there's going to be some stuff that she doesn't want to talk to me about, right? Which is totally okay. Of course, right? I'm not trying to force that. Right. Um, but like one yes, time I was talking, yeah. I was talking with my partner about this thing. And I was like, hey, I don't want it to be a thing. I don't want it to be like the sitcom kind of situation to where, you know, the the daughter can't talk to the dad because the dad makes everything so awkward, like bras, gross, all this other stuff. And so one time, I, I think this is one of the coolest like moments of like communication between me and my and my partner. I said, I know that she's going to want to talk to you about these things. And that's totally OK. I'm not trying to stand in the way of that. But I want it to be because that's the better option, not because she can't come talk to me about that because I shut it down or she doesn't feel comfortable. I had the exact same conversation with my partner when it came to like sex, sex and stuff too. I was like, I -hmm. understand I have a son. I understand he is going to want to talk to you about certain, there's going to be just certain things that he's going to want to talk to you about over me, but I don't want him to not talk to me as you're saying, because I am not an option. It's just more comfortable to have that conversation with the other parent. But I definitely want him to know that if he Mm -hmm. needs me, I am there and I am there to not be like the mom who's like, ah, you know, like it's the same with the different, the gender stereotypes, dad with daughter, mother with son, you know, all of that type of stuff. But yeah, we definitely, I was definitely agree. And I'm on the same page with you on that. Yeah, that it, it was, you know, it's one of those things to where I write a lot. I try to communicate as cleanly as I possibly can. And like in that moment, I was like, just very happy that I could get that out and say it the right way because, you know, I'm not trying to force a wedge in their relationship. Right. And, you know, some of that stuff is going to be experiential and like, I've not gone through those experiences. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just don't want it to be a situation to where she can't like, like in no, in no way, shape or form is she able to broach these like subjects with me, you know? So, uh, you know that, and we also just kind of check in on stuff, you know, uh, She'll come home and, you know, she'll tell me about a conversation that they had and, okay, cool. Do I need to get involved? She's like, no, we got it. I'm like, okay, great. You know, if that changes, I'm around, let me know, you know, but you know, it's very much like a united front, you know, trying to make sure that's how it should be. And that's really how it should be. And I know that growing up, um, my parents very much had the like disciplinary, there was not open communication and Mm -hmm. that that had a huge effect on how I responded to things when I was a teenager and things that I carried into adulthood. So it was extremely, extremely important to me to not do the same thing with my son. For sure. My parents got divorced. Um, I was 12 and you know, they were both not happy with the other person. Right. And so they would make sometimes intentional, but often it was just kind of unintentional slights about the other person. And it kind of created you know, I know who to go ask for certain things. Yes. Yes. Kind of situation. You know? And you and, don't want it to be and, that you want it to be that united front where you both are absolutely. going to have the same answer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and now that I am a parent and like, I, I've had some really good, good friends, you know, split up and, and things like that. And it's always fascinating to me whenever someone is so eager to go like scorched earth on the partner in front of the kids and like talk, just, you know, talk yeah, mad shit about them. I'm yeah. like, I'm like, how, like, you you're co-parenting 
this child, right? Like yeah. both of those inputs are going to output a grown up eventually, you know? And I think, I think people can be very short sighted if they're going through like a bad breakup or something like that. And it, and it all, it's all gets seen and heard by the kid. You know, they're, they're seeing and witnessing so much more and talking about body language, you know, like they soak that stuff up. And you if know, we like forget how much they soak stuff up, I'll forget sometimes that my kid will come out with some stuff and I'm like, Oh, all right. He be listening. He is listening a lot more than I think he is. And they really do though. And they really also, especially tune into their parents, I think a lot more than we realize. So they notice the tension and they notice, you know, the differences in body languages. And they also notice when you're talking, essentially talking shit about their other parent, you know, that's still to them, their other parent and someone that they love. And they don't want to hear someone, Absolutely. you know, talk shit about their dad or their mom, you know, cause no matter what the relationship is, but they are both important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And my, my sister did a lot more of this. She's a couple of years younger than me. And when my parent, you know, she would play them off of each other and I'm going to go live with dad. And then, you know, if, if that wasn't working out, I'm gonna go back to mom. And like, it was all because she knew at a very deep level, how much they were kind of playing the game with each other and like not happy with each other. And they were never on the same page about stuff. And like, it was like, it's, it's just very interesting. And you know, you don't, you don't exactly. know to look for that stuff when you're going through it. But now looking back, I'm like, Oh, well, that's why all that stuff was so fragmented and you know, all that stuff. Yeah. And exactly. And that's how, you know, now what not to do. Hopefully <laughs> it seems like you're really, you know, self-aware about, you know, like those things that happened in your childhood. I thankfully can say the same thing for myself that I became really self-aware of things that happened in my childhood, like, you know, blocking off, you're not allowed to feel things, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. And was like, that is not the type of environment that I want to create for my son. And I am actually really thankful for the new generation that it seems that the newer generation is heading in that direction and is not in this whole, you know, you don't express your emotions. You just deal with it. You just shove it down. Cause mm-hmm. you know, we all carry that into adulthood. We really, really do. And then it can even come out when we are parenting and come out in our romantic relationships where we shut down and we resist and we defend against the type of communication that we need to be having. Absolutely. Like I, um, I call that my, my fifties dad, right? Because like I'll have days where my, where my attention span isn't, isn't as long as it should be. And, you know, she'll be wanting to show me something else it happens. later, later it you know, happens. or, you know, like I'll be having a rough day and I'll react emotionally to something that happens, you know, or, or I'll snap, you know, or things like that. And I call that like fifties dad, right? Because, you know, my dad was very much that guy, you know, it was his household and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that person, you know, yes. so, you know, trying to trying to check, check myself in those moments, you know, why am I, why am I reacting this way? Like, you know, is this appropriate for the situation? Or am I just expecting it to be okay? Because like, I'm the dad, I, I, I think that's like, a cop out, essentially, you know, like, yeah, yeah, like, I think about it as kind of being on the clock, right? Of, you know, really trying to be there and be present, you know? So like one of the things that we're working on is because, you know, my daughter got a phone, it'll be two years this Christmas. And, uh, okay. That's a crazy time, right. Of now she has access to all these things and we've got certain rules about what she's allowed to do and what she's not allowed to do. But, uh, you know, we're all so into our phones, right. So we're all trying purposefully to, if I'm, if, if we're talking to each other, waiting for the other person to be done on the phone. 
right? As opposed to just like yes. launching into it. You know, in me, me, me and my partner do this, you know, she'll come in because we work together and uh, she'll come in and she'll want to talk about a client and I'll be doing something on a phone or I'll be DMing somebody or doing something. And she's like, okay, I'll just wait till you're done. You know, in the first couple of times of that, it's kind of frustrating, like, uh, you know, let's just get on with it or whatever. But it's like, I want to be present for her because now I can go do yes. the same thing to her, right? If she's on her phone or working on something, I can go in, hey, what do you need? I'll wait till you're done. I cannot process and it all. So I, I've so, done that where I'm like, yeah, you need to hold off. Just give me a minute. Just give me a minute to finish this one thing. And then because it's true, you know, you do. You really want to be present absolutely. there again. We're partners. We're all partners in this. So we want to be present for each other in that. You know, when I was writing my book, um, I would have my regular kind of work day. And then later, later in the afternoon, I just had a daily goal of like, I need to write at least 1500 words on this mm-hmm. chapter subject. And I would take myself out of my office. And, and during the time, actually, I would go sit in my daughter's bed because it was far enough away from my working environment that I could just go in there and sit and write. And, um, you know, if I hadn't been so habitual around, okay, time to go write and like, let me disconnect from all yes. these things that want my attention and let's go sit down and actually write, the book wouldn't exist, you know? And um, one, uh, a guy who I follow, mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a bigger entrepreneur. He's, he's got a couple like seven figure companies. He talks about his, his genuine belief is not how smart you are, but it's about how long can you focus right? Because attention spans are continuously getting shorter and shorter and shorter. So the people who are going to be capable of doing anything worth doing are going to have to be able to burn for longer periods of time and maintain focus. And ever since I heard that person say that, I'm like, that is true. Because like, I see people who start things and can't finish them and start things and bail and can't, can't work on one project for a long period of time because they, they, they've kind of trained themselves into a situation to where, every eight or 15 seconds, like they need some kind of new input or something like that. And like, yes. Or they jump to the, what's going to, what's got to happen next. What's going to happen next. What do I got to do next, 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 instead of just taking it the steps at a time that you need, which, you know, again, ties back into the, you know, the communication and with the discipline, with the martial arts. I mean, this is, this is so cool because, you know, I don't think enough people, I think some people are just parenting on, on autopilot as opposed to being very intentional with like how they, how they interact and communicate with their kids. And so I'm a, I overthink everything. I'm a very kind of overly strategic person. And so it's, it's cool that people are starting to pay attention to this, you know, in the, in the, and to be very thoughtful about it and stuff, because, you know, we just kind of thought that we were weirdos that, you know, we're, you know, trying to make it so hard. Here we are making connections. The whole point of this, this podcast, this place, you know, realizing that you were not alone in the way that in your parenting styles or in the ways that you try to claim mm-hmm. your individuality. The only thing that I wish that we could go back and do, right? My, my partner is a big reader, voracious reader, reads constantly, like, like is always doing a yearly book challenge and always like smashes it out of the water and everything. But, you know, other than reading, she doesn't really have a hobby that really kind of takes up the same amount of space that like martial arts did for me. And I wish that we could go back and we could, you know, find something great for her, right? During those times, you know, especially during like infancy and stuff like that, when you've got these, these big up times and these big down times and, you know, everything can be, you know, somewhat repeatable, but you're going to, you're going to be in like one of two spaces, right? The, they're either napping 
and you're supposed to be awake because it's daytime and you've got free time and you don't know what to do because the kid could wake up at any moment. And then, you know, the, then the kid is awake and you got to be on, you got to be present, especially, you know, the younger they are, the more present you have to be. And, uh, over those years just feeling like, you know, it's just, I am here to serve a baby. That is my purpose. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, I think some of that is harder for women than it is for guys to really kind of cultivate some identity outside of being a parent. Um, now, like, like my partner crochets, you know, she, she does yoga. She did, she has, you know, some things that, you know, that she can put herself into, which is really cool because I think everybody needs more than, than just one thing. Right. Because I think if one thing becomes your identity and you put way too much of yourself into it. And I've known parents that are like, well, I couldn't have this. So therefore you must do these things. And like, I don't think that's healthy either. Right. Right. Yeah. You got to. Yeah, you got to cultivate something for yourself. I mean, I mean, uh, it, it's it's always been super. And like, whenever my daughter was a baby, 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 I'm like, I can't wait till she's old enough until she like really wants to do something. Yeah. And, and you know, she's been in dance because nice. uh, she goes to a, a school that has got a dance program in it, and she's like that and like that. And uh, she's been doing dance and art. And then next year she's going to do dance and choir because she's really been like working on singing and watching these YouTube videos where they have singing exercises. She's holding herself up in her room and is working on, on her own. And I'm so stoked for her because I'm like, yeah, yeah. Really, really cool to watch them turn into like human beings. Yeah, it's really, really, really cool. And what's crazy is like how true all the cliches are that like you, that we all eye roll at before you have a kid. Like, uh, my daughter's 11 and it was about a year ago where like I looked over her and I was just like stunned because like she wasn't a kid anymore. Like she was like a little human. And there's been various like instances of that, of like moving from like toddler into being like a school age kid. And like that kind of was like, whoa, okay, whoa, like, wow. Now you're walking and now you have friends. Like, this is crazy. It's crazy. Absolutely. Like, it's such a cool, cool process. But, you know, like at 11 now, like she's, she has drama. She's got friends. She's got, she has, she has all the things that all, that all my adult friends have, but just like smaller versions of that stuff for sure. Well, thank you so much again for joining me for that as well. So Fuck It, Let's Talk is available pretty much on all of your podcasting platforms. For a link to them all, visit anchor.fm backslash Talk, where you can also leave comments about episodes and answer questions I might have for my viewers. For other links, visit me at at Podcast on Instagram 